So it seems like this day and age on the internet, people all across social media are doing these generous things for videos and quick shorts where they, you know, give money to homeless people or pay off the student loan debt for a random bunch of subscribers. And after a while of seeing all of this, you start to ask yourself, are these people really doing it because of altruistic behavior or because, you know, these people need it? Or are they just doing it for clicks? And then that raises another question. What exactly is altruism? Because if altruism is performing a task that benefits another individual at the cost of yourself, why do humans act altruistically in the first place? And what is the science behind that? Welcome to the science behind that with Atticus Hamilton. Hello, everybody, and welcome on back to the Science Behind That podcast. I am your host, Atticus Hamilton. And in today's episode, we're going to be going back to the psychology topics. Um, again, surprisingly, uh, <laughs> psychology seems to be the most popular uh, subject on my podcast. Um, so I-, I figured that you guys would like this topic As you heard from the intro, we're going to be talking about altruism, and I'm also going to be touching on uh, one or two other things in psychology, maybe that we talked about very early on in the beginnings of this podcast, um, you know, pertaining to group psychology and and group behaviors. Um, So we're going to be talking about that today, uh, and before we get in, again, I'd like to invite all of you to grab a nice hot cup of coffee add a little bit of maple syrup to it and uh, we're gonna jump right in one other thing um, for those of you that listen to Monday's episode you'll know that um, for the past two weeks uh, before this week if that makes sense uh, I was very ill um, and you may be able to hear from my voice I'm still a little nasally you know still a little congested particularly frontal sinus congestion that sort of stuff so my voice does still sound a little funky. Um, I'm hoping uh, come next week, you know, all that funkiness will be gone. But um, anyway, yeah, so welcome back. Thanks for bearing with me. We're going to jump right in. So altruism is, is kind of an interesting topic um, to me. When I was in college, um, particularly in my introductory to psychology class, that was an awesome class, by the way. You know, I really wish I could have taken more psych classes, but, like, at my university, unfortunately, you were unable to take more, like, more advanced psychology classes unless you had a psych major or minor, which was stupid, I thought, but anyway, whatever. Um, So, you know, that was a fun class. Um, But anyway, in that class, we did mention altruism, and it, it seemed to be the consensus of my professor that altruism was the it was a a visual representation of his belief that um you know humans have moved past evolutionary urges because from an evolutionary perspective it doesn't make sense to be altruistic and 
you know, that is something that I've seen a lot of places, um, not just him. For a very long time, the APA or American Psychology Association um, upholded that same idea. Now it seems like they've, um, you know, changed their uh, stance on that a little bit. Um, but it, it, for a long time, that seemed to be their stance. But before we can get too deep into altruism, I'd like to first just throw out a basic definition and talk about some other things that I, I think are important, including the type of altruistic behavior you're doing, right? So altruism in a very basic sense is sort of defined as performing an activity or function, right, that immediately benefits somebody other than you at the cost of yourself, right? So an example is, you know, if you're in high school, maybe not high school, that's not a good example. If you're like in uh, elementary school, you know, and um, Johnny, you know, he's not your friend. You don't really know him very well, um, but he's really hungry. And so you give him your lunch, right? So now he's no longer hungry, but now you're hungry. That's an altruistic behavior, Now, with humans, it seems like we tend to be more likely to perform those behaviors if it immediately benefits somebody of our bloodline and or our friends. And so what I mean by this is your parents, and some of you out there that are listening to this are parents, you'll know that that comes with an inherent responsibility to be altruistic um, for your children, if you are parents and, you know... Um, and what I mean by this is when, when a little child is born, parents sacrifice so much of their time um, at a cost to themselves, honestly, to give for that children or to give for those children or that child. Um, I read a, a frightening statistic about um, the cost um, to raise just one child from the age of zero to 18 here in America And it's around a quarter of a million dollars to fulfill just the basic requirements for clothing, housing, you know, safety, and food. It's a quarter of a million dollars per child for 18 years um, in America. And I don't know if that frightens you guys as much as it does me, but that's really scary because, you know, that's just the basic minimum requirements. And um, I know that a lot of kids in America aren't getting that. And a lot of families in America don't have, you know, a quarter of a million dollars to spend. But uh, so that was a very frightening statistic. But I bring that up because that's altruistic as well. You know, the parents sacrifice maybe financial stability and security to benefit the child. And that's an altruistic behavior. So we as humans are a lot more inclined to act altruistically for either our bloodline, right? Our children, maybe our parents, you know, our siblings, um, and our very close friends. Like my best friend, I have known him since, uh, oh my God, I think I have known him since I was 12 years old. I'm still friends with him now which is absolutely mind-blowing to me. That's like, uh, 
almost 12 years anyway um but you know i i would do anything for him um and uh i'm fairly certain he would do the same thing for me and i would definitely act altruistically for him um but when it comes to people we don't really know that's where it gets confusing and that's where statistic comes into play or statistics come into play and what do i mean by this what i mean by this is there was a study done in the 1960s, and I'm sorry, I forget the name of this study. It was called a compliance test. Now, um, if you look up like a compliance test on Google or something, you're going to get a lot of weird things. Um, but a compliance test is basically a test, a psychological test that seeks to determine how easily uh, susceptible people are to obedience, right? So the, there's a, a, a classic study where you have a bunch of people in a room, right? And they're told to fill out a form. Um, and so there's a bunch of chairs and there's three actors. And periodically for ringing of a bell, um, those actors will stand up. And a compliance test demonstrates that around 66-ish percent of the time, um, people will blindly follow what others are doing, even when there's no direct order to do that thing. And um, that relates to a lot of other things. So like um, on, exam on exams, for example, another test, another actually pretty famous test, had a bunch of random actors or people in a room some of them were actors, or all of them were actors except one person who is a designated test subject. And they were all showed a picture, pick different pictures containing three different length lines. And the actors, even when they would say, if there were like four of them, even when they would all say that the correct, you know, when asked which line is longer, and they would say, the obviously shorter line is longer, it didn't matter that it was incorrect. The test subjects, 66% of them, would follow in with disobedience and state the wrong answers, even though they were obviously wrong. Sorry, I had to take a sip of my latte there. Um, <laughs> so... That I found very interesting, but the question is, does this apply to true to altruistic behavior? Because what we see is there's different types of altruistic behavior. You know, giving some random kid you've never met your lunch at um, at a school, or giving a homeless person your leftovers when you're walking home from dinner, is radically different than taking a bullet for somebody you don't know. And the two things are still altruism. And so when we look at this, a lot of the times we see this, the breakdown of, you know, what percentage of people actually do perform altruistic behavior in legitimately life or death or, um, you know, very scary situations it ends up falling on that 60% line, mimicking the uh, compliance test statistics. And 
I think altruism as well also has a lot or can have something to do with peer pressure, right? From a when you just think about it, the vast majority of people, if there's a crisis, a mass shooting, for example, um, the vast majority of people will just stand there, right? And we know this. This is called the bystander effect. But every now and then, you'll get one person who acts altruistically to subdue the attacker. A couple of years ago, there was a um, uh, a person again again here in America. I don't remember what state it was in, but it was on a train, and um, he had brought a handgun with him that he had modified the firing pin to make to turn it from semi-automatic uh, a semi-automatic uh, pistol to a fully automatic pistol, and um, he was gonna you know kill these people on the train, and there were three people on the train who apparently were all um, former military guys and they were able to subdue him before anything got anyone got hurt that was altruistic behavior and so the question then becomes why do we do this right because taking that example taking that as an example um, you know those men who subdued the shooter were very likely putting themselves in mortal danger. Um, They could have gotten shot, they could have gotten seriously injured, any number of things could have happened, but they did it anyway to save a trainload of people that they, they don't know, they've never met before. Now, why would you do that? Well, according to the American Psychology Association, some preliminary data suggests that during the action that a person is performing, so during the event of an altruistic uh, behavior, the brain releases a lot of dopamine. And so from an emotional perspective, it feels really good for that person to perform that task, right? Which kind of flies in the face of, of what at least my psychology professor taught me in college, which was you know that's not why we're doing that's not why people do altruistic behavior you know um you can't use that as a as a simple explanation because then presu- pre- because presumably uh an individual's evolutionary survival instincts would overweigh a short-term immediate rush of dopamine but the data actually doesn't seem to support that but Again, the question then becomes, is this the same in a life or death situation like that last example I gave you? Did those men subdue the attacker because it felt good emotionally, or did they do it because they felt a compulsion to? They felt a desire to protect everyone on the train. And so... You know, I I try and look at everything from a science and a genetics perspective as well. Because, as we all know, our behavior, for the most part, has a genetic component to it, right? Because, you know, for example, we do know that there are underlying genetic characteristics that um, make somebody more susceptible to be... Uh, an extremely violent or angry person. And in fact, there's uh, data coming out um, from Uppsala University in Sweden that shows just that. Um, 
we know that um, uh, this is interesting as well. We are now learning that a hu- an individual's microbiome may play a bigger role in their personality than um, s- social factors, than environmental factors like who they hang around, which is also very interesting. So we know that genetics and physiological phenomenon have a big impact on how we appear physically and, of course, behave psychologically. And so my question then becomes, is there a possibility that altruistic uh, tendencies are passed down um, from generation to generation through maybe unknown genetic characteristics. And, you know, that I don't know. And it seems like there isn't a solid answer to that. So overall then, what did we learn, right? Overall, we learned that altruism may be governed by the fact that it feels good. When you perform a task that helps another person out despite the fact that it hurts yourself it it feels good the brain release releases the brain releases dopamine and of course it releases natural opioids um and um so that may be the underlying mechanism behind it but what did we also learn we also learned that the actual statistics of people who perform altruistically in a in a in a genuinely life or death or severely par- extremely perilous situation is more in line with between 12 and 60%. Now why do I say 12%? 12% because um, between 12 and 90% of people in a general si- situation feel peer pressure to do something if everyone around them is doing that thing as well. And so we can kind of, you know, say between 12 and 60% of people will not act altruistically in a life or death situation because the vast majority of people in those situations as well fall victim to the bystander effect, right? Where they don't do anything because of our underlying psychology. They just sort of stand there. And watch the situation unfold until somebody tells them, you call the police, you know, you perform CPR, yada, yada, yada. So overall, I think what we learned is that altruism may be more ingrained in us from an evolutionary perspective than we realize. And that um, we're not necessarily going against our evolutionary instincts when we act altruistically because it may derive some sort of you know cognitive and behavioral benefit to us especially if we successfully help somebody in an altruistic event well then our air quote tribe the group of people that we're in will look at us differently and so there's probably a lot more underlying factors going into this and if I had to bet as well I would say that there's probably a genetic component to it along with a social component to it. Um, And so anyway, as with most things in psychology, 
you know, it's kind of up in the air as to what the real answer is, as to what the actual underlying phenomenon is. But nonetheless, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the science behind that. Um, you know, have a great weekend. I'm, I'm so happy it's finally Friday. Um, and I will see you guys all on a Monday. And until then, remember, ladies and gentlemen, stand up and question everything. <laughs>